Today's reading is Exodus chapter 11, 12. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at a handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All of these officials were yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all your people who you follow. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they must take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of their door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord. A lasting ordinance. This is the word of God. Let me begin, if I may, with a question, a question to you. Don't out, ask, answer out loud, because that would be embarrassing. Would you like to be free from Satan, sin, and death? Would you like to be free from Satan, sin, and death? Because you can be. 
See, the truth is that in our natural condition, we are like slaves, drug addicts. We can claim to be free, but the truth is that we're addicted, enslaved, captive, particularly to three tyrants. Firstly, to Satan's claims upon us. You see, the enemy of God can claim us for eternal death under God's law. Satan can point out to God that we're guilty. We are corrupt. We've broken God's laws every day, every week, every year of our lives. And so we're enslaved to his condemnation under God's law. And we're enslaved to our own sinful, compulsive corruptions. You know what they are. There's no point pretending. We're all compulsive in our sin. Whether that's a kind of narcissistic attention-seeking or an unbreakable problem with pornography. Maybe we're just compulsively greedy and acquisitive. Maybe we're so ambitious we can't stop climbing on top of other people to get to the top. And of course we're also tyrants, we're also enslaved by death. Uh, you can spend as many years as you like in the gym and you're not going to avoid death. People are trying, believe me, where I live down in Wimbledon, people are trying. I mean, morning, noon and night people are trying to avoid the Grim Reaper. He'll get you in the end. We are enslaved, captive to Satan, sin and death. And yet, the Bible promises that in Jesus Christ we can know freedom. It starts now, but it's fully experienced in the life to come. It's, it's actually ironic, isn't it, that in serving Christ we find freedom. It's like a fish. A fish is not free on the sand. A fish is free in the ocean. And we are at our freest when we're living for Jesus Christ. And tonight this passage speaks about how we can be free. In Jesus Christ. Uh, you'll know if you've been at the series recently, um, I'm sure Phil's been teaching you, that we read the Old Testament to the light of the New Testament and vice versa. So I won't go into detail, I'm sure he's explained to you. That we read this passage in the light of what the New Testament writers say. Jesus himself said that these are the scriptures that speak about him. That these are these were written and 4,000 years ago, these, these, uh, these passages. But they're written about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, says 2 Timothy 3. There are warnings here, 1 Corinthians 10. There are encouragements here, Romans 15. This is written for us to learn from. And this passage speaks about Christ's death on the cross. This description of the Passover sacrifice is helping us to understand Jesus' death on the cross. If you're new to Christianity, I know there's kind of a load of ideas. But when Jesus died in the first century publicly, it's good history, you can read the records. What was happening is explained earlier here in Exodus chapter 12. Christ's death is, if you like, central to the whole Bible. In fact, it's central to history. In fact, the, the death of Christ is the clearest revelation of God's character. 
In the death of Christ, you see most clearly what God is like. I mean, God could be anything, couldn't he? The supreme being could be any kind of distant, hateful judge. We'd only just be discovering that. What a wonderful thing it is to discover that God is in his being, in his character, in his essence, a saving, self-giving, serving, sacrificial, loving God. It's an extraordinary joy to discover that. And we see it most clearly in the bloodshed of the cross. That when God became one of us in order to swap places with us, we see what he's really like. X marks the spot. The cross is the center of everything. And the Bible talks about three themes. There's propitiation. It's a technical word for meaning that the cross satisfied God's justice. Everything's been dealt with on the cross. The next is justification. That is to say that Christ swapped places with us. The reason he became an ordinary person like us is so that he could swap places with ordinary people like us on the cross. And there he was treated as if he was us and punished so that we can be treated like him and accepted in his perfection, in his righteousness, in his perfect Christian life, acceptable to God. That's the swap. That's justification. And then thirdly, redemption. Redemption is the idea of being liberated upon the payment of a ransom. And that's what this passage is about. Exodus 12 is all about the redemption accomplished for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, published in the resurrection, but accomplished on the cross. Now you may realize that these chapters in Exodus are all about the death of Christ. Uh, Ransomed through power in the plagues, through sacrifice here with the Passover, and through deliverance across the Red Sea. That's in the chapters to come. Together they all speak about the death of Christ upon the cross. For by his power in the plagues, God broke the power of Pharaoh in the way that the cross broke the power of Satan. And in the chapters to come, we'll find that through the death of, through the death of this lamb, through the sacrifice, the people were set free and delivered from slavery into the promised land as we are reborn and delivered into the kingdom of God. But right here in the middle in chapter 12 is the Passover, the sacrifice. The sacrifice that diverted the wrath of God so that his anger passed over his people. So tonight we're right at the heart of the heart, the center of how Christ has saved his people. Uh, you know from the context that uh, Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses, his prophet, and Aaron, his priest, chosen to represent him in speaking to Israel. Of course, their role speaks of Jesus' role yet to come. And I just want to look with you at verses 1 to 14. And just stop off in each verse very briefly to look at what we learn about the death of Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, they were living in Egypt. If you're not aware of the history, Israel, God's people then, were slaves in Pharaoh's Egypt. As we have all been slaves in the kingdom of darkness. Verse 2. The Lord said, verse 2, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. In other words, what is about to happen, the Passover sacrifice, is to begin the life of your nation. 
You see, it is the sacrifice of the Lamb that began their identity, that established their identity as the people of God. And this speaks of the fact that it is the cross of Jesus Christ that establishes our identity as Christians. See, our salvation was accomplished at the cross and will sustain us forever. It's through faith in Christ and him crucified that we are known as Christians. Verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. That is to say, every Israelite was to share in this sacrificed lamb. There was to be enough lamb for every family. Nobody was to miss out because everybody would need the sacrifice of this lamb to survive the wrath of God that was coming soon. In the same way as everyone needs the cross of Christ, there is no way to be saved from the wrath of God to come except the death of Christ. There is no back door, side door, there is no bargaining or negotiating. The only way to escape the wrath to come when Christ returns in judgment is this sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Verse 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So clearly there's to be no wasted lamb. They're not going to be slaughtering lambs and leaving carcasses around. If there's a single person or a couple or a small family who either don't own a lamb because they're poor or couldn't eat a whole lamb because there's so few, better share with the family next door. I'm not entirely sure what this means. Certainly it means that everybody is to share in the lambs. I wonder whether it's because the lamb is for God's people and it's not for anyone who doesn't trust in Christ, trusting God's salvation plan, sorry. They didn't know yet it would be about Christ. But it's not, it's not that lamb's going to be left around for anybody to eat. It's going to be those only who trust in this sacrifice for their salvation in the same way as Christ's sacrifice is for his people. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. and You may take them from the sheep or the goats. So whether it's a sheep or a goat, it has to be a healthy, valuable animal. You're not to pick some kind of weasley one, one that was about to die anyway, one that's only got two legs and, and, and uh, no head. You can't, you can't pick an animal that doesn't, doesn't work. You've got to take a healthy animal, a costly animal. In the same way, you see, the one who would die in our place on the cross was not any old man. It was a man who was without sin, Jesus Christ. You see, it's only somebody who is not dying for their own sin who could take our place and die for our sin. If God had just picked some ordinary bloke from the population to die in our place, then firstly, it would have been unjust. Why should he die for the rest of us? And secondly, he'd have to die for his own sin. He couldn't die for mine or yours. That's why God had to become a man, a man without sin, so that he could swap places with us on the cross. And there is a pure and perfect man carry the blame and the punishment and the hell that you and I deserve upon himself on the cross. And his perfection be counted to us.
These were to be animals without defect, as Jesus would be a man without defect. A costly sacrifice, the Son of God in skin. Verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Interesting that for four days the families were to look after these little uh, one-year-old lambs or goats. You can imagine the fuss in the family as the children were feeding the little animal milk and, I don't know, bits of grass and other things as animals need. I, I don't know much about animals, but I imagine they eat something. Ready break or cereal or something. Interesting, isn't it, that for four days, you see, this was not to be some unknown lamb, a lamb just plucked from the, uh, from the shed next door. This was to be a lamb that would be cared for and known by the family because this was the lamb that would die for the oldest son of the household. I once heard somebody uh, uh, playing through the scene. You can imagine the scene as the night before the wrath of God was coming, explaining that little lamekins here, Eustace or whatever that little animal has been called, is going to have to die tonight. Or Jacob, the ten-year-old, is going to have to die. You can imagine some of the girls thinking, Oh, I want Eustace! And mum and dad explaining, no, 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 God's wrath is coming tonight. We don't want Jacob to be killed. We must kill this lamb. We need this lamb. This lamb will die for this boy. You see, in the same way Jesus Christ would come as our representative. He was not any old man. He came, he had to be our king in order to represent us on the cross. And we got to know him as he was amongst us. For some years, teaching and demonstrating what a lovely man he was. And we grew to love him and realized what a wonderful man he is. And then he had to die in our place. It's either him or us. It's one or the other. Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That is to say, the blood poured from the, the, the cut throat was to be painted roughly over the doorposts and lintels on the outside of the house to indicate that death had occurred in the house. That bloodshed had already occurred. That judgment had already fallen. You see, our sin must be punished either in us or in Christ. God has not compromised his justice in saving us. He will always punish what is wrong And the way we've treated him and the way we treat one another is appalling. So God became one of us in order to fulfill his own law upon himself on the cross. Verse 8. That same night there to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So the people had to eat these bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery. And they had to eat the lamb. They were to be spiritually nourished by this sacrifice for their journey ahead into the desert. And enormous stress is placed upon the unleavened bread without yeast to emphasize that they had to leave in haste. That this would be a dramatic sacrifice and there would be a sudden departure and this was not, not to be a slow and, and delayed and prevaricating process. They were not going to be hanging around for, for weeks working out what they wanted to do. This is it. 
The sacrifice would save them. They would leave in haste, leave their old life and begin the new. Or to put it another way, there was to be a crisis of repentance. They had to decisively decide to leave the life of slavery, to go with God into the future. Verse 9, they were to roast it. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. I don't really understand this either. It may be that uh, these were the methods of wandering nomads to indicate they were going to be spending quite a time in the desert. This is not the way you would boil uh, meat for a palace. This is the kind of rough and ready way for the nomads. Maybe it's about that. I don't know enough about cooking to know. What is important here is that the instructions are very specific. And throughout this, God is saying you'll do this and not that. If you want to be saved, you do this. You don't change these rules. This is God's provision for the salvation of his people. And you don't alter them. You don't improve them. You don't leave things out. In the same way as God's provision of salvation for us through the death of Christ is not something that we can alter, negotiate, leave a few bits out, add a few bits on. We'll be saved in God's way or we'll not be saved at all. Verse 10, in the morning. None is to be left. Verse 10, do not, not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. None is to be left over for the sacrifice is to be completed. It is not to be repeated. In the same way as Jesus Christ's death was finished on the cross, there are no more sacrifices for sins to be paid by you or by anyone else. By a priest in front of an altar or by you and me, there are no more sacrifices for sins. The sacrifice for sins was fully accomplished when Jesus died in our place on the cross. What an extraordinary thing. Somebody said that for God to allow a sacrifice is grace. To provide a sacrifice is amazing grace. To become the sacrifice is grace beyond measure. It is extraordinary that God should not only allow, not only provide, but actually become the sacrifice we need in dying on the cross. So none is to be left for the morning. There's going to be one sacrifice for sins. And then verse 11, they're to leave in haste. Verse 11, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. I know they were wearing pretty strange clothes, but they were men and women, young and old, just like you and me. Not much different. They didn't have iPhones, but otherwise the same. They were to eat it in a hurry because they were about to leave. They were about to leave their old life decisively behind and to move into a new life with God. And now God explains why. Verse 12. On that same night I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the good gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. God would judge the idolatry of Egypt. The danger that the people were facing was God's judgment and it remains the biggest judgment today. There are lots of problems in the world, but I can promise you your biggest problem is the wrath of God. The wrath of God coming is the thing you want to worry most about because the consequences of his judgment are eternal and eternity is a very long time. And if you doubt that God will judge, 
where you need to know that he judged then. He kept making promises in the Old Testament that he would judge sin. And people kept ignoring his warnings. And every time he judged, he did it. And he has promised that he will come to judge the living and the dead. Whether we've died first and get resurrected or we're alive when he comes, every single one of us will stand before the living God. I am the Lord, says God. I don't have to muck around anymore. There is a day coming when he will deal with sinners. Judgment is coming. But verse 13, The blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. If there is the blood of the sacrifice over your home, the blood will operate as a sign of death to the living God, so that when he comes in judgment and sees the blood, he will pass over you, and you will be safe. In the same way that if we will put the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives, you don't even have to understand it very much. Just declare to God that the blood of Jesus Christ, please may it protect you from his wrath. It's very simple. Paint the blood of Jesus over your life before the living God, that when he comes, he will not destroy you in hell. You see, his passing over is not because the Lord will decide, you know what, let's not worry about sin. After all, let's just let Jimmy Savile get away with it. Let's just get Hitler get away with it. I don't care about sin anymore. Don't worry. It's not because of that. It's only where punishment has already occurred, where judgment has already happened, where there has been a sacrifice in our place. I don't know what proposal you have to face the wrath of God. If it's not Jesus Christ, I'd love to know what your plan is. Because there is only one perfect man who swapped places with us, who suffered our punishment and hell on the cross, and his name is Jesus. Verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. He's saying, this is going to be wonderful. This is unbelievably serious. This is your future. But once it's done, celebrate it. Party like mad. This is worth celebrating forever. They would notice they were to celebrate it, not to repeat it. You don't repeat the Passover. We don't need a mass. But in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate that Jesus died in our place on the cross. In fact, basically, living as a Christian is a life of celebration and thanksgiving for what God has done for us on the cross. If you want to know what being a Christian is about, that's it, basically, in a nutshell. Celebration. It is a life of celebrating the sacrifice on the cross. As Jesus explained at his last Passover meal with his disciples, he said, "Where they, just at the point, by the way, where they were used to celebrating the Passover sacrifice back in Exodus, Jesus changed the words. Instead of saying, this is the Passover, he said this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, as he passed the bread around. Then as he passed the cup around, the third cup, he passed it around. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What he's saying is, you used to celebrate your redemption from slavery in Egypt. But now my death 
will fulfill what you used to celebrate. And from now on, celebrate my death. My body pierced for you. My blood shed for you. Because I am your Passover sacrifice. And so we go on to the New Testament and we discover that John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus as the lamb promised in the Old Testament. There are many sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament. Jesus is like the lamb that is silent before his shearers in Isaiah 53. He's like the Day of Atonement lamb in Leviticus 16, the lamb that both satisfied God and is the scapegoat and took our sin away. But above all, Jesus is our Passover lamb, through which we are redeemed. And John said, look, the lamb of God, there he is. You see that bloke over there? I know he looks like anybody else, but the one Jesus, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus explained, this is my body, at his Passover meal, he was explaining that he is the Passover sacrifice we need. It's amazing that as he was being crucified on the cross, the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in the temple. Indeed, his legs were not broken which is one of the rules for the Passover celebrations. If you don't want to be punished by God for your idolatry, for loving and worshipping created things rather than your creator, then you will need Jesus as your Passover sacrifice. Because we have been devoted to things like pleasure and wealth and career and family, worshipping ourselves instead of God, we will face his wrath unless we turn to Christ and him crucified. I suppose it's a bit like this. You and I have lived inside a a filthy cell in our natural condition, in all our slavery and addiction to sin and filth. It's like living in a grubby cell. And when Jesus died on the cross, he opened the door of the cell and he invites us to walk out to freedom with him. Leave that filthy life behind. I come and walk with me with, in freedom. Do you want to be free? You see, Jesus Christ died on that cross to suffer the penalty and the wrath that you and I deserve for the things we do wrong so that we will never have to suffer that wrath. And he invites us to walk with him in freedom from Satan and from sin and from death itself. We begin now, it's not perfect in this life, but one day when we're with him in glory, it'll be perfect freedom. You see, the problem at the moment is that our temptation is to walk back into the cell. Many of us here are Christians, no doubt, and we've walked out of the cell with Jesus. And then perhaps even this last week, we've walked back into the cell and groveled around in the filth, as if we were still slaves again. And Jesus keeps walking back into the cell and patiently saying, you don't belong in here. This is the old way of life. Now come out and live in the freedom of forgiveness. Live with me. Don't live in that filth anymore. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. See, what he's saying is, now that Christ has died for you, don't live in the old slavery. Walk out and live in freedom from sin. 
make that decisive break with your past life. You cannot be, you can't, don't live like a slave in Egypt any longer. The death of Christ is the invitation from God to walk out into freedom. And then one day when he comes back, he'll lock the cell door behind us and we'll never go back there again. So what will you do? Will you paint the blood of Jesus over your life, even this evening? Haven't you had enough of wallowing around in the filth, of worshipping yourself and your career and your pleasures? Wouldn't you like to be free from all that? Jesus Christ loves you so passionately that he came to swap places with you on the cross. And there he suffered the hell and the wrath and the, and the punishment that you and I deserve so that we will never have to face it if only we will turn to him and rely on his sacrifice. To paint the blood of his sacrifice over your life. Can I ask you, have you ever actually done that? I know you might be sitting here at church. I don't care if you've been to church a billion times. Have you ever actually prayed to the living God and said, please count the blood of Jesus over my life. Please pass over my sin. Set me free from the guilt and sin that I've lived in. Lead me into freedom. Have you ever actually said it? If you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer now for you to pray that prayer to the living God. And if you have walked out and you have prayed that prayer, can I urge you, don't walk back into the filth of the cell. Live as people without the corruption of the yeast because your Saviour died for you as your Passover sacrifice so that you can be free. So don't walk back into the life of Egypt. Don't live like the Egyptians do. Live in the freedom that Christ's blood has made possible for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. And I'll give you a moment of quiet to talk to God in the quietness of your own heart and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord God, we thank you that this ancient passage describes in detail the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. And Lord God, whether this is the first time we've ever said it to you or the hundredth time, we want to say to you tonight, please would you see the blood of Jesus over our lives. Please pass over our many sins. Please do not punish us for our sins because Jesus has died for them on the cross. And may his blood protect us from now on. And please set us free from that old lifestyle. Please help us not to walk back to the, the way of the Egyptians, to the, to the filth of slavery, to sin and Satan and death. Help us to live in the freedom of serving you from now on. And above all, will you fill our hearts with joy and celebration that our Passover has been sacrificed. Jesus has swapped places with us on the cross and he shed his blood because he loves us.
to take what we deserve so that we might walk in freedom and in liberty and in celebration. And we ask it for his glory alone. Amen.